Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com. You can send along a comment there using our contact form. You can also find our library of uh, previous episodes. There are over 120 or so of those. And I certainly hope you enjoy them. Uh, there are some interesting interviews and all kinds of content that is rich. Our sponsor is CFS Financial. That is my company that kind of makes all this possible in some ways, financially speaking. If you notice, I don't ask you for money. I don't sell subscriptions and uh, you don't have to listen to all kinds of commercials at the beginning of these um, episodes because uh, this this company of mine we consult with nonprofits particularly Christian nonprofits particularly Christian schools all over the country on all matters debt related and financial related strategic planning and polity and all those governance issues and and things we we focus on debt and we we really want every Christian organization to be debt free but we help them along with uh, consulting and introducing them to better resources for debt. Interest rates are crazy right now, I know, and the bond market is uh, really starting to adjust. The 10-year treasury crept over uh, 5% recently, and um, so the yield curve is, I guess, de-inverting, if that's a word. And uh, that that's exciting, but there are the lots of challenges, financial challenges and debt challenges experienced by Christian schools and other organizations all over the country. And it is my pleasure to work with them. Uh, you can also send an email directly to me, and several of you do, and I really appreciate it. I'm very grateful. John at johnwarrenmedia.com. I get so much encouragement from friends, from people at my church, and from People all over the world, you you just don't know how encouraging it is to get a note saying, "Hey, keep it up." This meant a lot to me. Uh, th those are those are encouraging, and they've they've kind of helped me craft my plans for uh, the the rest of my life. Frankly, um, so I I uh, my my family is going through some struggles my parents are uh, particularly my dad uh, in in his uh, mid 80s experiencing some health issues and uh, that that is um, certainly concerning and difficult and I'm we're learning my siblings and I are learning all kinds of truth about how older people what their options are when their health deteriorates and in my dad's case, he's fallen several times and broken bones and had to have surgeries and has to have another one at some point. And it's just hard. And recovery is hard. Rehab is hard. Rehab facilities are difficult uh, uh, to get in. The good ones are. And But you know what? There are heroes doing lots of great work. We should be thankful for people doing tireless work that is, in a lot of ways, it's thank thankless. But 
you can imagine being elderly, falling, and dependent on physical therapists and nurses and CNAs and all the rest to, to, to enable you to learn to walk again, to be able to get strong enough to walk again. And they just, they do amazing work. I don't think they may all make a lot of money, but my goodness, they do amazing work. They work tirelessly and they are in less than ideal conditions. And, uh, and there, there are some that, that even have good, good cultures, good, uh, I'll call it customer service culture. What a blessing that is. Well, uh, and thank you for your prayers in, in that regard. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, I say it all the time, but grateful for this opportunity to talk about important matters. I don't often talk about our society per se and, and just devote an episode to, you know, where we are as a society ideologically. But I do want to talk about that a little bit today in, in, the, in the context of, of God and, uh, and who God really is, God's, God's nature. And I, I, I want to talk about the fact that our, our society is suffering uh, from arrogance. Um, we, we have, I don't know how to say this nicely, but we, we have a, a view of ourselves that is too high. And, you know, Martin Luther actually talked about this to, I think it was Erasmus. He said, he said, your, your thoughts of God are too human. And that's really a, a result of, and, and, you know, we, we can only, we can only communicate as humans. We, we don't, we don't have anything else, but, and our, our use of language is limited. I, I had someone tell me that they thought my vocabulary was strong this week. And I, I thought, wow, in my head, it's certainly weak because I don't always find the perfect word, but we can make this, this charge uh, that your thoughts of God are too human to the church leaders, leaders in the church today, uh, um, leaders of the entire evangelical movement. And I'm not suggesting that we have to just be hyper reverent and use, you know, old English terms or, or even older modern English terms to describe God. But, but I am suggesting that we've become so casual about this and arrogant about it and, 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 and dishonoring, degrading to God. We paint a picture often of kind of a caricature of God that doesn't match at all the, the attributes of the God of, of this universe. But there's, there's something else we do with arrogance is, is we, we elevate people. I, 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 I am not against or opposed to Taylor Swift and her career. Her latest album has really shocked me a little bit, but, but outside of that, I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-Taylor. In fact, I took my daughter years ago to one of her first tours, a uh, concert uh, at uh, one, on one of her first tours. And, and it was really entertaining and she did a great job, I thought. And um, so uh, I'm not anti-Taylor Swift and, and the like. I was not uh, anti-Michael Jackson when he was alive. I'm, I'm not uh, anti-Green Day and uh, Mr. Holiday and uh, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm, I, I'm not anti, anti rock star. 
but I, I think that we, with those people and with other celebrities, we elevate them to a ridiculous status, a mindlessly ridiculous status. And then we're just so devastated when they do something human, something sinful, something wrong, something inconsistent. And we obsess, we, we, we have people who travel all over the country hoping to see these people and going to concerts and paying crazy amounts. And, and I, I just, you know, and, and, and I, I want to pick on some other people too. I want to pick on our politicians. I mean, some, some of those politicians think they're not accountable to their constituents, not accountable to the press, and they are full of arrogance. The United States Senate has a number of these people. There are others in the, in the administration. There, there are some who are in these jobs who really respect the role and understand their duty and work hard and, and are properly motivated and are humble. Um, but there aren't many of those. There aren't a ton of those. There's just arrogance all over our society. And I might as well throw in business leaders. You, you know about my banking career and you know that I encountered lots of people who have made a lot of money and, and become full of themselves. I mean, it's kind of, it's never enough, but wow, the arrogance was, was kind of, kind of easy. Uh, it's tempting. I speak about it as if I've never done it and I have, and it, it's, a it, it's kind of silly though, isn't it? For, for man, just, just us, us created creatures to, to think of God lowly and ourselves highly. It makes no sense. I mean, we have, you know, we're, we're, we're familiar with death. We're familiar with illness we're familiar with forgetting things. We're familiar with being inadequate. Where if you're a guy, you're familiar with being inadequate in relationships. That was intended to be funny, but uh, we're all inadequate in relationships. We're accustomed to not communicating perfectly. We sometimes communicate well, requires a lot of effort. And there are some people who are more guilt gifted than others in that regard. But we're, we're just not perfect communicators. In fact, we're not perfect at much of anything. We usually, most people know that their strengths and weaknesses, they, by the time you get a little deeper into, little deeper into adulthood, you know what your, what your lane is, what your strengths are, maybe, and, and you know your weaknesses, but you're, you're not even perfect at, at your strongest, in your strongest area of strength. And, and there's a lot of trial and error that goes on in this world. A lot of, a lot of decisions are made based on impulses or inclinations. There, there's, a, there's a perception of worldly success that cuts across all disciplines, all types of people, and we tend to arrogantly have a high view of those people and, and a low view of God. But it's worse. We, we also have a high view of ourselves and a, a low view of God, a God uh, that is just viewed too lowly. There's a whole school of thought on God being supreme, God being the highest or, or, or having more authority, power, or status than anyone or anything. That, that's really it. That's really how the world works, isn't it? God is so far above us, so far apart from us, so transcendent, out of this world, and difficult for us to understand. 
and yet he's also close to us or imminent or with us. We, we say that a lot here, but it's, it's really interesting to me that we, we just don't properly acknowledge God's supremacy. And, and on the rare occasions that we do, we really don't acknowledge it properly with our lives. If God really is supreme, if he's really the highest, the highest authority, power, and so on, wouldn't we, wouldn't we configure our lives differently? I, I, I think we, I think we would, you know, the, I talk about the U S constitution a lot. We, we just did a few weeks ago, a couple of episodes on, uh, I think I called it constitution for dummies, U S constitution for dummies, just as a cute little title. doesn't mean you're dummy. If you don't know much about the constitution, kind of taking off on those, those yellow books, you see that X, Y, Z, typically an it related topic for dummies. I guess it's more widespread than that now, but, and, and in, in that, uh, that those episodes, those two episodes on the Constitution, we t- we talked about the supremacy clause, and it's I think it's Article Six uh, that it's in, and it's 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 the the idea that this this is the supreme law of the land, and and all 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 the provisions in the Constitution are are, are constitute the supreme law of the land. All all other laws, all other governments, all other uh, you know state governments, county, city, parish, township whatever and and all all organizations all 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 country clubs and and companies and 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 HOAs even and and other uh, civic organizations and churches and schools and all all of those their their bylaws or articles or governing documents all of them are inferior to the US constitution there's no law that can be made unless it's made via the amendment process to the constitution no no law that can be made that is superior to the U.S. Constitution. None whatsoever. That's a beautiful clause to have because it, it, solves, it solves some problems. And you, you also know things like we, we, we use the word supremacy. So, so, so we use the word supremacy in the, in the Constitution, but we also use it to describe our military. When we say things like we have air, ground, water, and water supremacy. And, and there are some countries like North Korea that call their their heads of government, some form of supreme leader. Well, these these titles are, are misnomers. Their their authority, their status is not supreme. We we used to call Michael Jackson. I guess he still probably called this uh, even in his death, the king of pop. And others have been given similar titles. Supremacy is something that the human condition longs for. We like to say that is the supreme. That is the, that's the goat, the greatest of all time, Tom Brady and, and others, Derek Jeter, others in other sports have been, and other, other, um, other parts of life are, are regarded sometimes as the greatest of all time. Muhammad Ali used to even say it. I'm the greatest. We're, we're, we're kind of obsessed with, with supremacy, but, but only God possesses this. We, we go to great lengths. The, the summary of this is we go to great lengths to reduce the gap between God and us. It just makes us feel better. It's, a, it's the human tendency that Luther was talking about to Erasmus. We, we like to describe God, think of God in very ordinary, humankind sort of, sort of ways. Well, 
God's supremacy includes all of his attributes. He is he is supremely good. He's supremely loving, supremely gracious, supremely full of mercy, and, and, and so on. All of these attributes that we've been talking about and, and, and that we will continue to talk about, if not directly, at least indirectly, we'll, by, by way of reference, all of them are part of the same essence. We've talked about that. And, and so there's, the, God doesn't have like a set of strengths or he's pretty good at these things and not so good at these others. He's supremely good at everything. He doesn't have a, a needs improvement area like we all do. He, he doesn't make all A's on the report card except for this area. He doesn't need a little processing time over here because, because he, he needs to work at that. He's, he's instantly knowledgeable on anything, instantly supreme. He has no weaknesses. We don't fill gaps that, that God has. God doesn't have unmet needs. We've talked about this before. So his supremacy is is all encompassing. And I, I know you're probably driving or or doing whatever you do when you listen to this podcast. It's really funny because I with some of my friends, they tell me, you know, what what part of the week they, they listen. They usually listen on the same day. And I'm grateful that you take your time to listen to this. And I want to make it worth your while. And I'm 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 at some risk because you probably aren't in a position to look at this. I, I just want to walk through just quickly a psalm, Psalm 50, because you can see all of God's attributes in here and all of the themes that, that we've kind of discussed. And when you, when you sum it all up, it, it is God's supremacy that drives most of these truths. It starts out, and this, this is really cool, talk about supremacy, the mighty one. God the Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. This this is beautiful. This is this is a reference to beginning and end. And when you say the mighty one, God the Lord, that's the word that is translated Jehovah, the highest name for God, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. The power of God speaking, the word of God, the breath of God. He breathed creation into existence. And that, that, that concept alone is so difficult for me. No, no, no chemicals, no component parts, no, no tools, no substances. He created it all with, with his, by his word. He breathed it. It is God breathed. He breathed it into existence. And I, I don't get into, I had some uh, dear sweet friends who asked me if I had views on the uh, creation, the six days of creation and so on. And, and I, I, you know, is it six literal days or was it, you know, six days separated by billions of years or were, was a day longer? And, and I, you know, I hear all those, and I, I, I just have to say, and and they they tended to agree with this. Uh, in the absence of better information, I believe it was six literal days. I believe it. If I mean, the remarkable part is not that debate, really, but that God breathed it all into existence by the word of His mouth. I mean, by His sheer will, the earth came into existence. And 
I haven't been to every country and ha we, we haven't been to every state even, but we've seen some beautiful things, uh, beautiful waterfalls and other things. And I, I don't know how you can, you can see all that and not just marvel that God breathed it into existence. So I don't get too worked up on those six days. I, I, I believe that it was six literal days, but I, I won't hate you if you, if you don't agree with me, that's fine. But Anyway, verse two says, out of Zion, the perfect, the perfection of beauty, his, his goodness is beautiful. Then it says, God shines forth. There it is again. He is supreme. Verse three says, our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. That's the idea of storming or shivering or bristling with horror. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. That, that word judge, that, that's the idea of ministering judgment. Verse five, gather to me my faithful ones. That's, that's those who've kind of made a covenant with me. And he follows it with, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. That word sacrifice could have been translated offerings. The heavens declare his righteousness. That is God's righteousness, God's moral Rightness. You hear that? The heavens declare his righteousness, his moral rightness. For God himself is judged, or, or is judge, is, is lawgiver, in other words. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Look at that. Boy, if that isn't supremacy. I am God, your God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? This I'm reading from Psalm 50, verse 7. I am God, your God. That addresses God's transcendence. I am God. I, I am the supreme being. And then, and then the psalmist says, your God. That is God's eminence is being with us. He's very personal. I am God. I'm bigger and more powerful than you can imagine is what this is saying but I'm also your God. I'm also intimate with you. That's just tremendous to me. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. That, that, that has the idea of retributive justice like we've talked about before. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. That would have been kind of jolting to read back at this time. For every beast of the forest is mine. God's establishing his supremacy again. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. And all that moves in the field is mine. Notice he's talking about knowing and owning. Verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. There, there it is again. The world and its fullness are mine. That is supremacy. That word fullness is all it contains. The entire world is mine. You just think you own property. You just think we have a nation that is sovereign. We have, we have nothing apart from God. The entire world and its fullness are his. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. 
I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. I will rescue you is what he's saying. And you will honor and magnify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes? To, to the guilty one, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes? That is to declare my statutes. Or take my covenant on your lips. For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. You know, I, I'm not a huge Nick Saban fan, although, wow, what a winner he is. But there's a quote from him that says something like, life, life is hard. You either learn discipline or you learn from failure. Isn't that the truth? There's no short shorting this. There's no doing a workaround. Life is hard. You either learn discipline or, or you learn from failure. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. That's the idea of being favorable with the thief. You give your mouth free reign for evil. That could have been translated, you let your mouth loose. You know, you don't constrain yourself. You follow your, your verbal impulses. That gets me in trouble on a regular basis. And your tongue frames deceit. That word frame is the idea is to bind or join or fasten. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I've been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. You, you thought I was ordinary, he's saying here. No, I am supreme, he's saying. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. That is to kind of state the case against you. Mark this then, you who forget God. That word forget could have been ignore. You who ignore God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Well, I know that was long, 23 verses, but here we have God's wrath, justice, power, grace, mercy, love, salvation, righteousness, eternality, infinity, omniscience, omnipresence, and so on. In just this chapter, we see the incredible chasm between God and man, don't we? Very clear there when you read that psalm. A.W. Pink said, and he said this back in 1930, that, that makes this really an, an impressive quote. The, the God of this 20th century no more resembles the supreme sovereign of Holy Scripture than does the dim flickering of a candle resemble the glory of the midday sun. The God who's now talked about in the average pulpit, spoken of in the ordinary Sunday school and mentioned in much of the religious literature of the day, is the figment of human imagination and invention of syrupy sentimentality. The heathen, outside of Christianity, manufacture a god out of wood and stone, while the millions of heathen inside of Christianity manufacture a god of their own carnal mind. In reality, they are but atheists, for there is no other possible alternative between an absolutely supreme god and no god at all. God is either supreme, 
has supremacy or he's no God at all. And he is absolutely God. That should make us tremble. So we, we see that, that one of the ways we see God's supremacy is, is the infinite distance separating the creature from the creator. There, there's an interesting verse in Psalm 2, verse 4. It says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then it goes on to talk in verse 5 about his wrath. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Then down in verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. If all of heaven and earth staged a revolution against God, it would cause him no uneasiness. I remember being awestruck by earthly leaders at one point. I got to shake Ronald Reagan's hand. I got to meet the senior leadership one time at the Federal Reserve in a meeting, a meeting where there were about, I don't know, 12 of us and the some of the people from the Federal Reserve who get quoted in the Wall Street Journal all the time were there. It was kind of intimidating. We had Mike Oxley, the late congressman from Ohio, who who was the co-author of Sarbanes-Oxley. We, we had him represent us in a, in, a, in a merger effort, a bank merger effort. Meeting him and having dinner with him was, was really kind of special and intimidating. But the most known or accomplished or sophisticated humans are nothing when they are compared to God Almighty. The supremacy of God is, is plainly affirmed in, in many scriptures. I, I want you to just listen. Let's just, let's just focus for a moment on this beautiful prayer of David's in First Chronicles 29, verses 10 and following. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the King of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. David understood God's supremacy. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. What a beautiful model prayer this is. There's so much here. When you think about the knowledge of God, God learns nothing new ever. He knows everything all over the timeline and, and I'm not surprised by anything that'll, that'll change our prayer life right there. But this model prayer is just beautiful. It captures the supremacy of God beautifully. Notice God's supremacy, power, majesty, riches, honor, kingdom, might, strength, and glory in this beautiful prayer of, of David's Job's perspective is always interesting to me. He says in chapter 23, verse 13, 
Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right, but I do not see him. But he knows the way I should take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Well, I love that verse. Down in verse 13, but he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. Job at this point understands God's supremacy, for he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence when I consider I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me, yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. It, it seems that God is ignoring Job, and it seems that way to us sometimes. It seems he isn't here. We know he's omniscient. He has no unmet needs. He has supremacy. No unfulfilled desires whatsoever. He completes everything he intends. And I, as I mentioned earlier, he doesn't forget. We seem to encounter this in our study of God's attributes often in, in an effort to know who God is. It is a difficult concept to comprehend because of our finite nature. He's so immense in his essence that he terrifies people when we think rightly about him. And yet he is gracious and merciful and loving to us. I want to talk just a minute about to you if it seems he isn't here. I want to challenge you to do this. And I, I know I've said something like this several times. God is here. We have his word. Study his word and his attributes, his essence, who he is, what his promises are. His immutability, his being unchanging, gives us tremendous comfort that all those stories in the Bible are, are accomplished by the same God we serve with exactly the same power, the same infinite power. It's not growing or changing. It's very important. To, to care about that and know about that. It, it sometimes feel, feels like in our society today that God is losing the battle, doesn't it? In our culture, and I talk about it a lot, I think about it a lot, I'm sure you do. If you watch the news and, and you kind of keep up with where we are ideologic, ideologically, it, it's easy to have this sense that God is losing the battle, that, that evil is prevailing. Well, we can rest in the fact that this is not the case. The victory truly belongs to the Lord. Proverbs 21, verses 30 and 31. I mean, these are the simplest verses, but you'd think that, that they're not even in Scripture because we ignore them. No, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Nothing can avail against him, and the victory belongs to him. The biblical stories of God's supremacy go on and on, and they encourage us. I would encourage you to study them. The miracles of Jesus, and there are some 40 of them that are chronicled and many, many others. The, the Red Sea being divided, the sun standing still, the ravens carrying food to Elijah, the lions not harming Daniel, the fire that didn't burn the three Hebrews who were thrown into the flames, the preservation of Noah, Isaac, Joseph, and, and countless others. 
the biblical record and the testimony of the saints throughout all of history attest to God's supremacy. We, we see in, in the Old Testament God's protection over the wisdom, uh, women and children when the men left three times each year. That's chronicled in Exodus 34. We, we see again in Proverbs 21 that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Isn't that something? No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. We just read that section without the other verse. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And then, you know, it, this gives me tremendous comfort. Um, Ephesians 1.11 in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God's will is being worked out. You don't have to worry about what God's will is. I know you want to be sensitive to God's leading, but all things are worked out according to the counsel of his will. I want to close with this. I read it often, Romans eleven thirty three through 36. This is the supreme God of the universe. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He is everything. From, through, and to covers everything. No one has given him advice or counsel. No one has given a gift to him. Nothing has come to him from outside of himself. While God's supremacy is hard to grasp, it's worth grappling with because it strengthens us and enables us as Christ followers. The supremacy of God changes our thinking. God's character informs us on who we are. We have to consider the impact of his supremacy. We haven't really considered it well if we don't think about the impact. It promises our submission, among other things. There's a section in James 4 that I like. It says, uh, yet you, verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. When we talk about the impact, the application of the significance of God's supremacy, we realize that his supremacy allows us, enables us, encourages us to trust him. Psalm 31 is all about trusting God, but I trust in you, it says in verse 14. Oh Lord, I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Oh Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. And it goes on. This is encouraging. God's supremacy is Yes, there's a sense of awe that we have, for sure. But we don't have to worry about God not completing it, not being faithful, not 
seeing it through. We don't have to worry that he's not with us, that we might not feel it every moment, but God is with us. What a beautiful, beautiful promise. I'm grateful for you, this audience. This is this is serious weighty material. The supremacy of God, establishing that, being convinced of that is is vital. There are lots of other references about God's supremacy. The Bible doesn't always use those words, but if you take a look, you'll 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 be able to find God's supremacy throughout the Psalms. Psalm 31, I think I just mentioned. And there are many, many others, Psalm 34 and and so on. So I am uh, grateful for you, this audience. I hope this has been helpful. I hope you'll write to me if uh, you have questions about God's supremacy or anything else. I appreciate your encouragement. Look forward to being with you again next time. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. God willing, we'll be back next week for another episode, and we're, we're going to talk about the, the biblical word to know. It's really cool. There, there are three ways that knowledge or knowing are referenced. There are about six or seven ways that, that technically that, that, that knowledge or knowing are referenced in Scripture, but three primary ways, and they're kind of levels. They build on each other. One is just to know casually. The other is to, you know, like you know that flower is red. And the, and then and then then the other is to know to actually know and understand, and and then the final one is to to know deeply, to know intensely with discernment. And there there are just some cool scriptures that we'll talk about. That truth gives me comfort as well. So I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.